So if you are a customer experience professional looking to deliver a rock star customer experience to your customers, then you are in the right place. Because today I'm talking to Lynn Hunsaker from Clear Action Continuum, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, smashing silos. You're listening to Rockstar CX. So if you don't know who I am, I am James Dodkins, and I used to be an actual, real-life, legitimate, award-winning rock star, but now I'm not. Now I'm a customer experience rock star, and I'm talking to people all around the world with different experiences, different point of views about ideas that are going to help us better deliver that rock star customer experience. Well, I've been in this field since the early 1990s when I used to be reporting into the strategic planning department at Sunoco Products Company in South Carolina. It's a packaging company. And I was interviewing customers all around the, the country and uh, finding out what their perceptions of our value and our competitive standing was. And we were putting that into our strategic planning, something that people today are doing um, very few and far between. So uh, in 1991, they asked me to lead a company-wide task force for measuring customer satisfaction. And I've been doing this type of thing ever since. I was uh, leading customer experience transformation at Applied Materials, and there they definitely had a smashing silos uh, thread to all of the customer experience work that I was charged to do. And so that's how I learned my trade. And now at Clear Action Continuum, we're helping companies uh, figure out how to do this uh, in very manageable ways. What is a silo? Well, a silo is a disconnect between one or more entities of anything that need to be connected. So basically on a farm, you have a tall uh, cylindrical uh, building that you put grain in so that you can uh, uh, re uh, store it for long periods of time. And in business, a business silo is where we have uh, organizational uh, responsibility or we have data that's or systems or uh, people and programs that are specific to one thing but then in reality when we look at the customer experience journey that's horizontal and it cuts through across all of these vertical silos that are in business so whereas on a farm a silo is a good thing in business a lot of times the silo is not a good thing yeah i, I see what you're saying and it's um it's an interesting way to look at it because, of course, silos are all vertical. And as you're saying, the, um, the customer experience is horizontal and it cuts through them. So, OK, I'm sure a lot of people understand that. But why is that so bad? Well, you actually silos aren't bad in and of themselves because you do need to have specialization of uh, techniques. You need to have accountability uh, for uh, certain endeavors. You need to have uh, variety. For example, I wouldn't want to have a one-size-fits-all software package. I actually do appreciate having specialty software packages for certain uh, efforts that I have. But it's also really great if there's some kind of compatibility across them. And that's where we're talking about bridging silos, is making things compatible, making things more uh, universally acceptable from a customer's point of view as they're going through the horizontal customer experience journey. Okay, and so you, you're saying that some aspects of silos are are good, and you gave the the software example. Are there any other 
aspects of, of situations where silos are actually good for business and good for customers? Well, yes, you'd want your financial department to have a real expertise in finance and your IT to have super expertise in IT. You don't necessarily want to uh, combine the two in terms of um, a single management team and uh, everybody being equally uh, proficient at IT and finance. You do need to have some specialization. Um, also with, with products, you need to have variety and, and so forth. So the experience management is to see those things as customers see them. So when there's a new customer, for example, sometimes the uh, finance department sends out a notice, welcome to uh, your new account. And they're explaining how to do, how the billing works. And then at the same time, maybe someone from IT is sending something out and other departments. And so the coordination of these uh, outreaches to customers, as well as the uh, the assumptions, the vision, the uh, commonality of data across these organizations becomes really important for a, a streamlined uh, experience as well as very practical and, uh, and gratifying experience for the customer. Okay, so I mean like, do you think it's maybe not about smashing silos at all? And maybe it's just we just need to improve communication, would that be enough? Improving communication is very huge. Uh, we call that transparency in business. It's really uh, being open with your counterparts in terms of here's what we're working toward, uh, here's uh, uh, what we've uh, achieved, or here's what uh, you may be able to borrow from us, and checking in with one another when you're starting another a new endeavor. Uh, who has already done something like this? Who uh, might care about it? Um, where might we tap into the lessons learned already? Who might we want to br bring into this as we're working on it? Even though it seems like it might slow us down in the course of doing so, we'll actually go faster and uh, have a lot better out output. Uh, okay, so I mean, it's, it's a good way to explain to people why smashing silos is a good thing is there um is there a good way to visualize this for people to get people in a room together and and show them how damaging silos can be yes i think looking at waste uh, how much time do people spend waiting for things and you can look at this even internally as a starting point um, how, how much uh, of these handoffs that you receive from other departments don't quite meet the mark, either in quality or timeliness or the work itself? You have to go and re redo some things or uh, anything that's redone, anything that's scrapped. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of uh, frustration in companies about these types of things. And I think that you can do a quick and dirty analysis of your own work area and how much it's costing you and your team. Uh, there's also a lot of clues that customers give us in the comments they have in their contact centers, technical support calls, uh, any kind of survey, all kinds of interactions with customers. They're telling us the types of things that are wasteful to them. And it, what we need to do is just collect a sample of that and do a quick and dirty analysis of some costs and uh, opportunity costs in particular. And I think that that paints the picture for what's at stake in terms of how much you can save and how much you might be able to grow by tackling silos.
yeah I, I agree i think it's a really good way to look at it before we move forward i just want to say a little hello to uh, Savi, who said hello and it's a pleasure to be listening to us both which is good not me probably just you i think but it's polite that you <laughs> would say that <laughs> what i want to know is like is there a particular method that you would use? like it, would you use customer journey mapping to map out the the experience of the customer and and then sort of be able to point out different areas in which there is waste and there's rework etc cetera, etc cetera? Customer journey maps can be really powerful just because a picture tells a thousand words. And I know that in some companies, people have really had their eyes open in terms of, wow, uh, we knew that there were some hiccups and things, or, you know, we knew that we were performing uh, to the best of our ability, but look at what's caused, what's uh, actually happening from the customer's perspective and how we actually need to coordinate upstream and downstream horizontally in what the customer's end-to-end -end journey is. It, it begins a, to paint a, a really compelling uh, picture for people who might have been kind of uh, myopic or blindsided and just uh, viewing their own world. And it's a really good uh, conversation starter. However, it's not the only thing because uh, you can take customer comments or even a customer interview, um, a vignette, yeah. And anything where the customer is describing what their challenges are, what the consequences are to them, that can be a compelling uh, picture in and of itself, regardless of whether you have a journey map. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because, of course, the like traditional process mapping, if you take the Lean and Six Sigma sort of mindset when it comes to, say, process mapping, it's mapped in silos, it's mapped in swim lanes, um, and everything's kept to themselves, and it's, this is your job, don't ask anyone else, this is what you should be doing, there's accountability for your tasks and activities, but there seems to be very little accountability about the outcome as a whole, and it is sort mm -hmm. of that traditional industrial age mindset where it's input, activity, output. It doesn't go that step further towards outcome. It doesn't say, look, everybody together, we're trying to achieve a particular outcome, and this is how we should work together to do it. It's this is your output, this is your output, this is your output. And it's almost a case of keeping your fingers crossed that if everybody just does their job right, it will achieve that outcome in the end. And I guess like when, you, when you're in a factory and you're like making a car or something, if everybody does their individual part correctly, the output of the final car will be, obviously, hopefully, um, correct but I don't think you can translate that to a customer experience world have you seen any other sort of examples where an industrial age mindset has really sort of been brought forward into the 21st century and it's kind of screwed things up for customers um, well there's two other things that have really um, spoken volumes and uh, work that I've done with companies and one is uh, with those process uh, swim lane maps and uh, what they call uh, value mapping, uh, I think value chain mapping. Yeah. Um, the key to that is to overlay, the, because we're always looking at the frequency of issues occurring and the cost to us, but what is the frequency and the cost to customers as yeah. a bigger picture? Um, and I've done that with one of my clients where it was completely eye-opening in terms of money that was being left on the table where customers were actually splitting their orders with other vendors, even though they wanted to do business exclusively with this company. Yeah. And it really, you know, was, was powerful. The second thing is uh, cascaded objectives. Uh, some 
the, the official term is called HOSHIN planning, H-O-S-H-I-N, but cascaded objectives is where you take whatever the CEO says is our corporate goal and then take that down to the division level and then take that down to the department level and then down to the team level. So at each level, you're saying, how am I contributing to the upper upward um, levels goal? Uh, and uh, so at the team level, you're getting down into the nitty gritty of how, what do we need to do in our process to uh, contribute toward each uh, you know, successive level. Yeah. And then you, you roll up your metrics uh, going vertically upward. So some people call that waterfall planning. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that in strategic planning, uh, uh, time period of your year, and you're using customer experience as the context for all of these corporate goals can be extremely powerful. A third thing that came to mind though is concentric circles. We think too much about flat stuff and um, boxed up stuff, and we don't think roundly enough is what I've observed. Uh, it's like the, the world is not flat. We know the world is round. <laughs> And business is not flat. Uh, business and relationships are circular. Um, and so if I think about putting the customer as the outer circle and then everything that we're doing inside the company is concentric circles inside of that. Or you could say, let's put the customer at this inner circle and then everything that we're doing is centered on customers. But either way, if you say that uh, we're trying to achieve such and such in revenue, we're trying to achieve such and such in um, employee retention or productivity, why? The why should be so that we can do X for customers or because customers have been wanting Y or Z. And if executives were to couch all of these things within why do customers care or what is it going to allow us to do for customers, it would really solve a lot of this chicken and the egg type thinking about financials run everything. Customer experience management is nothing more than actual uh, context for business management for, for daily decision making. Yeah, I think it's, um, it, it is an interesting way of looking at it, seeing the objective at the top and then cascading it down. And of course, it's the point of if the issue is that if the, the goal at the top isn't a customer centric goal, then it was kind of useless like and it, I, I guess what you're saying is part of it is about understanding how what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis contributes towards that vision um the, the the thing i want to talk about a little bit further is this concentric circle idea because i'm a big fan of that i wrote about that in my book in 2014 foundations for customer centricity where i put forward basically a, a, a different way of organizing our business now the way i visualized it and again it I think that's what the th the problem is. This is just a visualization. When we when we think about the pyramid, and we think about different departments and different silos, we talk about it as if it's a a real thing. We talk about silo walls, and we we personify. We make it a real thing. We say we have to smash silo walls. We talk about climbing the corporate ladder. We make it a real thing. However, it isn't a real thing. It's just a drawing on a piece of paper. And I think that's that's a big thing. And a big mindset shift that we all need to have is that you don't have to be bound by this. It is just a drawing on a piece of paper. Um, and the, the issue is if most companies, if you go and look at their um, their offices, they've used that as their blueprint. They've they've built their headquarters 
using this pyramid as their blueprint. Most of the top guys sit at the top. Most of the uh, frontline work workers sit at the bottom as if that's where they belong. And there's, there's, there's so much more I could get into with this. But when I'm thinking about concentric circles, the, the way I looked at it was with the customer in the middle, because people say, put the customer at the center of everything you do. And I was thinking, well, unless you actually do that, then you can't really claim it, can you? Um, and then there was an outer circle of the basically the frontline workers, the people that deliver the customer experience. And then on the outside, it was the support workers. So it was a very simplistic model. It was just it was the customer, the people that deliver the experience, the experience circle and then the support circle. And the idea was that the support circle, their goal is to make things as easy as possible for the employees and the employees. It's their job to make things as easy as possible for the customers. Um, have you seen any different ways of looking at it that are equally as cool um, that, <laughs> that maybe maybe go a little bit more in depth? Well, um, I particularly like what you just described, and um, I recognize that from your latest book. Um, what is it? Uh, Employees customer first, customer second. Yeah. <laughs> Put your customer second. Um, I uh, I like your your book very much and I recommend that to people. Okay. Um, but I think that what's really uh, important about all of the examples in the book is that these brands, such as Virgin and uh, Disney and so forth, have created a very clear vision of what the customer experience journey is supposed to be end to end. And without that, uh, I think that everything that they're doing would fall flat. Um, and I think that's the missing ingredient, first of all, for any company is to have a really clear standard for what the customer is supposed to feel and experience at each step across the end to end life cycle. Um, then second, once you have that, then that's kind of your foundation. You kind of take it for granted. And of course, um, you know, it's it's nothing for granted. It's actually the centerpiece. But then you focus on your employees being able to deliver to that and hire accordingly, uh, reward accordingly. And that creates a lot of harmony in all of these artificial walls. They're really not so existent in those types of environments because they have a common rallying factor that is more noble and it's actually more true because customers are the source of everyone's salaries. Yeah. Customers are the source of your budget. They're the source of investors' dividends. Yeah. So you may have investors uh, injecting funds into your, your uh, overall capabilities, but at the end of the day, uh, the investors don't really care about other investors in, in uh, rewarding your company. They care about customers rewarding you. And so it only makes sense that we have uh, either an inverted pyramid where customers are at the top and uh, you have your uh, employee uh, employees that are uh, serving customers right next to them and then your C-suite down at the bottom. So that would be an inverted pyramid or these concentric circles. And I think that uh, the circles make more sense we need to be thinking about how things touch each other and how uh, uh, it's kind of a snowball effect or uh, a ripple effect whenever something happens. Um, some people call this a butterfly effect, yeah. that uh, nothing is really done in a vacuum, but there's always a consequence around us. 
And the more we're able to think in those terms, the more we're able to make better decisions. Yeah, I agree. And the, the whole butterfly effect idea is, is really powerful because it, it is really understanding that no matter where you are in an organization, no matter what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, at some point, it will end up affecting the customer experience. And it could be in the tiniest little way, or it could be in a massive way that you've never really realized. But understanding that is very difficult to do in the pyramid because it's so vast, so siloed. Um, so I agree. I think looking at things in different ways, whether it be an inverted pyramid, whether it be concentric circles, whether it be a flat organ, whatever, just different visualizations that help you see what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how it actually affects the customer. Even if you, there's so many people out there that say, well, why are you talking to me about the customer? The customer's not my job but of course the only reason they think like that is because of the way that we draw the map and of course people say the map is not the territory and it's it, for me it's really powerful for pe when people realize ah yeah the only reason i think this way and the only reason i do the work in the way that i do is because of the way we draw a diagram on the wall and when you it's almost like the matrix once you once you get broken free from that when you get red pilled you start to do things in in different ways what i do want to talk to you about now though is like we've we've looked at like the traditional silos and there's probably a lot of people out there that that know about like traditional silos are there any like hidden silos that maybe we wouldn't have thought about before there are well people talk often about organizational silos which we've been discussing uh, they also talk about system silos channel silos data silos uh, process silos and then there's some that we don't talk about very often but they're really at the core of all of these. If we could tackle these, we could tackle the others. And these are uh, assumption silos, vision silos, goal silos, metric silos, and handoff silos. And really that is fabric uh, behind uh, your culture and the way that people do things, the way that people think and do in your company, that's what culture is. Well, I, I want to get back to, to metric silos in a, a little bit later, but I want to know more about what are assumption silos? Assumptions are where your assumptions don't match my assumptions. So you can think of the silos in business as mismatches, anything that doesn't really match up. So your data doesn't match up, your systems don't match up, your assumptions don't match up. When you're on the same page, when you're singing from the same hymnal, when you're, <laughs> you're joined at the hip, uh, you're you're, mar you're uh, dancing like the the uh, Radio City Rockettes. Then you've <laughs> tackled a silo. You've bridged a silo. <laughs> nice. So right, I've, I've heard you talk about it before the the three universal keys to smashing silos. Can you talk me through them step by step? Uh, well, the universal keys are first of all to um, broaden perspectives to help people see their work in terms of these concentric silos and concentric circles, pardon me, but in particularly, why is the customer paying for your job? If you were to take your job role and all the things that you think are important, either what's in your performance review as your, your duties or your job description or whatever, say, so what? Why do customers care? And I don't care if you're in facilities or safety, or HR or IT or legal or on the front line, so to speak, customer facing, uh, you can ask why is the company, why, why are customers paying the company to pay for your job? Yeah. 
Now, when you rephrase it that way, now you have a whole different perspective on I'm doing this audit because such and such, or I am in charge of this and that. And it may be so that you're empowering those customer facing people or certain touch points. That may be what your job is about. And it goes back to uh, who was it uh, that said everything that is done in a business is done to serve customers or to serve those who do. Probably Deming. It, everything's yeah. probably Deming. I think it's Deming. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course, I love that. I think that is a fantastic idea. And it's a simple thing people can do right away. Go to people in the business who don't directly touch the customer and ask them, why does the customer pay for you to do what you do every single day? Explain to them, and I'm sure they know this, but saying to them, look, the customer pays your wages, which is a, another Deming thing, I'm pretty sure. The customer pays your wages. We don't pay your wages. Why is the customer paying your wages? What value are you delivering to the customer? And it will make people think in different ways. I love that. I think that's a yeah. wicked thing. And for the people watching, if you're looking to do anything immediately, I, I would suggest go and do that, in, unless we come up with something better later. But at the, mo <laughs> at the moment, go and ask them, why, why don't we just all go and ask people that? And if people don't have an answer, it's a bloody good idea to try and get them to get one because <laughs> realistically, if they don't yeah. know, that's a, that's a problem. Um, okay. Is, is there anything extra you want to add to that before I move on? Yeah. Um, marketing and customer experience professionals can help these functional areas to get that view. If they share those insights, especially if they're in a story form yeah. uh, with each, each functional area and then, add to it and here's how your role affects it so i had a, a newsletter when i was leading customer experience at uh, applied materials and in every article at the end i would say for engineering here's your takeaway for it here's your takeaway for legal here's your takeaway and we don't do that enough in customer experience management uh, we yeah. have a lot of data we have a lot of stories but we should be bringing those to life and helping be really explicit um, for all of these groups that are removed to see their ripple effect. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, you've mentioned this ripple effect a few times. Is that mm. is, is there more to is there is there more to it? Can well, we go a bit deeper with this, or, there, or, or is it just something? There is a little bit. Can... Because if you're a supervisor of anything, you have generally some budget responsibility and you have some people responsibility. And so as a supervisor, it just goes without saying that whatever decisions you're making day to day, big or small, take into account, what is this doing toward my budget? Is it helping us grow? Or am I making a, a foolish use of, of these funds and resources? And how is this impacting my people? So those are kind of built in criteria for decision-making among anybody who's a supervisor. Um, what's missing is we totally forgot that customers are paying for all this. And so customers are the real boss. And therefore, even the fact that you have budget or that you have people, the customers trump all of that. And so it's more of a three-legged stool where every supervisor should not only be cognizant of how is this affecting my people? How is this affecting my budget? Or the uh, you know the perception that I'm using my budget wisely? But how is this all so affecting our customer experience? 
How is it affecting the employee experience of those around me who depend on me? We have interdependencies. Be, th be thinking a lot more about interdependencies you have, and that will help you solve silos. Cool. I'm going to, um, the, the, the whole ripple idea is, has got my brain working, which is never a good idea. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that a little bit more because I think it's a, it's a powerful analogy or simile or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's a powerful visualization of that one thing happening and that ripple effect of what are, what other things gets affected within the business. Um, what I do want to ask though is, okay, let's say I've got a cell silo smashing to the top team. How do I go about doing it? Well, um, first of all, I think uh, following these universal uh, uh, um, threads for silo bridging is really important. But um, putting it into managerial's language, manager's language is money. Okay, so how much money is at stake? And we're usually thinking about um, how much more revenue could we gain whenever we're talking about customer experience. And I think we can get there, but maybe talk first of all about how much of our precious budget are we losing and therefore not, we're kind of uh, handicapping ourselves toward all of the upside that we could be getting because we're wasting so much time, wasting so much um, resource and so forth. So I think that it's actually easier to quantify the waste and to paint that as a picture toward if we could tackle this waste, look what we could fund as yeah. uh, additional growth opportunities. But the four keys for silo bridging are expanding people's, um, broadening people's perspective, um, and then also altering their motivations. So we have a lot of motivations that are well-intended, but when you think about the bigs are connected and everything we've been talking about so far you'll see that we're actually shortchanging ourselves in a lot of the motivations that we provide for our employees for example we might um, reward people individually rather than for doing team-based uh, achievements and nothing really in customer experience can happen with an individual everything in customer experience happens because of teamwork so right there um, also, we may be rewarding uh, financial achievements and other operational achievements inordinately with this three-legged stool where customer achievements really are the overarching. Uh, they should be overarching of everything because customers are paying for things. And at the end of the day, if customers aren't paying, you're going to go out of business. Yeah. Toys R Us. Toys well, R Us. Huge shock. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Who, who would have thought? Who would have thought such a such a massive mainstay, such a massive institution, would have gone? And it's stupid because really we should have done because so many others have gone by the wayside. But it's almost like every time it happens, we we forget. It's like we don't, we don't want to believe that it could happen to anyone else. But um, so I've I've got a comment here. So yeah, I, put a I put a question out across across the network. Um, with various different questions and a really interesting answer that came back was from Seema Matthew who I know is watching right now hello um and it was it was talking to to what you were just talking about about individual performance metrics and that 
maybe we should be working towards more of a collaborative style and a significant mm. portion um, of people's metrics needs to be more of a collaborative target. What are your thoughts on that? Well, um, you can start off with uh, in the planning, in the planning uh, cycle or even quarterly uh, ops reviews, uh, establishing joint uh, SLAs, service level agreements between organizations. Um, that might be a way to uh, put a, a stake in the sand in terms of we need this from you, you need this from us, let's uh, deliver to one another to certain standard. Yeah. Um, just having those dialogues in and of themselves may be sufficient as a starting point. Um, and then eventually you want to be weaving that into um, the, the way that you're uh, looking at things in, in ops reviews. So don't just ask this guy for this and that guy for that. Instead, look at things in terms of what's most important to our customers. So how how have we been performing on this thing for our customers and whoever has a, a contribution to it, they're reporting on that. Then let's look at the next thing that's important for our customers and whoever has a contribution to that, they report on that. So it may seem a little bit unwieldy initially, but you'll find that it's actually changing the whole pers uh, perspective of people and that they're um, solving things instead of uh, creating uh, uh, waste. Uh, you'll see a lot of efficiencies. Um, and then finally, of course, um, maybe minimizing individual uh, metrics yeah. in uh, performance reviews and in, uh, and performance pay, uh, such that it, those things are a very small percentage compared to the collaborative goals that you achieve together. Yeah. It's, um... I think it's a really interesting way to look at it. The way I like to think about it is like a, a soccer team or a football team, the, the, which is its yeah. real name. <laughs> and it's, of course, yes. like the, the, the big bonuses come from winning the games, not how many passes you've made. Like yeah, It is interesting yeah. to look how many passes you've made, how many tackles you've made, how many shots you've had. But the big bonuses come from winning the game because the fans, right. their, their successful outcome is to see the team win the game. So there's that ultimate alignment there. And everybody works together no matter what position they play in, whether they're a goalkeeper, a defender, a midfielder, a striker, no matter where they play on the field, they're all playing to achieve that one outcome because that's the, the goal they're trying to achieve. Um, there is a question here that's, that's coming live um, from Dan Nevers. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly, Dan. And he's saying the question is, is it an oversimplification? The question is, is it an oversimplification to say that uh, business comes down to customer experience and employee experience. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that's right. Because uh, customer experience, if you get it right, you'll get the dollars. You'll get the pounds or the yen or whatever your your uh, revenue is quantified in. Um, employee experience, if you get that right, you'll get the customer experience right. So uh, it does boil down to those two things. I think I am. Um... I think I agree with that. I don't think it is an, uh, an oversimplification. I think it's that is what it is. There are basically two things happening within an organ. Well, I mean, right. Only one thing happens, and that's stuff. Stuff happens. Okay. Some of that stuff happens to the customer. Some of it happens to the employees. That's that's really as simple as it, it needs to be, in my opinion. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I'm right. Doesn't mean you're right. Doesn't mean Dan's right. But it's, I think I think you can boil everything down to one of those two things. Um, all right. So another thing that came out um, of the causes of silos um, on LinkedIn, we got a comment from Nickel Datar, um, and he's saying that most performance frameworks are built to measure efficient utilization of capital. Hence, the goals of all reporting teams are aligned towards making the department head successful. So I think the the idea here here is, again, think of the pyramids. Everybody within a particular department, Mm -hmm. all of their goals are aligned towards the success of the department. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if, if your goals are aligned towards the success of the department, they're not aligned towards the success of the customer. So... Correct. What are your thoughts when it when it comes to that idea? Again, uh, changing the way that we ask for accountability in our ops reviews and in our staff meetings, so that instead of asking each individual to report what they did, let's look at something that's important to the customer. How engaged are our customers? How engaged are they across each? a major milestone across in the end-to-end customer life cycle. What are we doing toward that engagement? How are we making it natural for them? Okay, so changing the, the, the reporting ask, and therefore people are driving toward making that efficient. And uh, then you have some minor percentage on individual contribution because you still have to have that content that accountability or departmental contribution but overall it's it's i think that the sports analogies are really great whether you're talking about football baseball or whatever kind of team sport uh viewing your role if you're on the the c-suite or a ceo coo uh, you really should be thinking about uh being the, the team owner or maybe the board of directors is the team owner. Yeah. Uh, maybe the, the CEO is like the, the quarterback or the team captain. Um, and all of the uh, functions across the company are the various players that have a specific role. But at the end of the day, it's all about did you pull together? Did you have each other's backs? Yeah. Did you uh, work so that the the team itself was stronger than the sum of the individual parts and that's what silo smashing is about yeah definitely and it's like the the story i I tell to sort of point that picture is if you imagine there's a a striker let's say it's england versus the usa world cup final which isn't going to happen um the um there's an english striker and he sees an american striker about to take a shot and score the winning goal you would never get the English striker run over to the American striker and say, excuse me, can you just wait there a little second? You need to be tackled. I'm only trained to take shots. I need to transfer you to a defender. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. He'd, he'd <laughs> go anyway because, of course, he's aligned. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this is that I actually think that, like, American football is kind of organized in silos. You've got specific teams for specific things that happen in the game and i think as a result exactly and and as a result the game doesn't flow very well don't get me wrong i'm a fan however it does take like four hours to play a game whereas a soccer game it's 90 minutes give or take a couple of minutes every time because it flows because everybody's in one team it's not a case of well my job is defending so that's all i'm going to do and it's your job so i think there is a difference there and it's 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 a demonstrable 
Right. Uh, soccer or, uh, you know, uh, non-American football. It's funny because every single uh, country actually calls it football except for us. Right. Well, okay. But this sort of football may be the best analogy because uh, even rugby, I think we don't really want to run our uh, customer experience management. Uh, as a, I, I don't know a lot about rugby, but it, that's not the type of picture that I get for customer experience management. It's more along the lines of uh, traditional football, soccer. Um, but yes, uh, we we would have each other's backs. We would uh, be uh, fluid in our roles. Um, in fact, any place that you go where you're seeing somebody uh, kind of step out of their box and take care of you because they really care. Yeah. That's where, you, you know, you, you, that, that's something that is memorable that you're going to talk about. That you're going to reward by continually coming back. Yeah. And uh, I think that gets tripped up is thinking that the end game is profits for investors. That's the desirable byproduct of the yeah. end game. The end game is actually making customers love you so that they're coming back, they're evangelizing for you, they're expanding their uh, your role in their world. Um, but if you're looking at the customer as your end game and financials as a byproduct of that, this is where you're putting the horse before the cart. And traditionally, we have been doing it backwards. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's um, it's a really good way to look at it. And it's that the the money shouldn't be the goal. Customer success should be the goal. The money's the reward if you get that right. So I think that's a fantastic that's right. way to look at it. So um, I've got another comment here from Benny Gelbendorf uh, from LinkedIn, and we're talking about fixes. Like, how do we how do we fix this silo mentality? And he one of his ideas was basically making silo managers drop their egos and mm. i think what he's trying to say here is that of course the the people who have the power to smash these silos are the people who invariably benefit the most from the silos so mm -hmm. how do you as somebody let's say that you don't own a solo a, a silo as it were how do you go about influencing this change it probably has to be a tops down thing from the CEO. Yeah. Uh, I think that the board of directors can be very influential to CEOs taking on this. Um, but otherwise, uh, you've got your journey maps and you've got your waste and the potential upside that could be gained by tackling the waste. And perhaps they're motivated by having more rather than having all this money going down the drain. Yeah. So it's almost like going above their heads. if you Because, of course, appealing to the people who benefit most from it might not actually work. Because if you explain to them, well, look, this is going to be better for the customer and therefore better for the business, but they go, yeah, but it's not going to be better for me. I'm probably not going to do, do anything about it. That's uh, it's not it's, it's not going to be helpful. So I think the idea of like trying to show the people that can really affect that change from the top the, the waste, the inefficiencies, the the way that silos get in the way of customer success. I think that's a, a really good way to look at it. And I've got um another another idea of a fix um from uh, Suvi Linfords, uh, the founder of Luma, and what she's saying is there's um 
a bonus scheme that was introduced in Microsoft. So I'll tell you a little bit about it and see, see whether you what you think about it. Basically, what they're doing is a third of somebody's bonus is based on their individual success. A third of their bonus is based on how much they work with others. And a third of it is uh, how much you help your colleagues. Um, so do you, do you feel that that's a... Like, is, is that too much of a simplistic way to do it? Or is it, is it one of those things that, okay, it worked at Microsoft. Would it work anywhere? What are your thoughts when it comes to that sort of splitting out people's bonuses based on their individual work and the, their collaborative work? I think that's a step in the right direction. Because you can be very specific about what you mean by that, by the various uh, initiatives that that person is playing in. Um and the interdependencies that they have with certain other functional areas. So getting specific in that way can uh, take out the loosey-goosiness of it, and I think that it can be quite effective to uh, incent people in this way. Yeah. I like the idea. Cool. Yeah, I think I think it's a, a neat idea, and whether it be thirds or, or whatever, I suppose that doesn't really matter, but it, it's, it, it does come back to that whole idea of the, the biggest bonus coming from winning the game, not how many shots you've taken, not how many passes you've made, because it does affect the way that people will then do their work. Because the way I think about it is like, let's say you had your defenders on the soccer team um, and you were paying them on the amount of tackles they made. And the more tackles they made, the more they get paid. Chances are they're going to pass the ball to the opposition strikers to give themselves a higher chance of making the tackles, which, of course, is incongruent to customer success. So I think it is all about sort of noticing those silos, noticing where they're taking us away from delivering customer success, noticing where they're incentivizing not delivering customer success, mm -hmm. really starting to make those, those changes. So, look, that's fantastic. Where is the best place for people to get in touch with you? Because I know there's going to be a bunch of people that want to continue this conversation with you and talk about it more, talk about the practical applications of this and talk about how you can help them do this. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, you can send me an email directly, lint.hunsaker at clearaction.com. Or I also work well with LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn slash inlinsaker. Perfect. So I'll make sure those um, links are in the, the description of this video. Look, um, I want to say a massive thank you, Lynn, for this today. It's been really eye-opening, been really inspiring. It's helped me think about things in a different way, and I hope it's really helped the people watching think about things in a different way too. I want to thank everybody that's contributed, everybody that's commented, everybody that's um, basically trying to work together to deliver a better customer experience. So until next time, what I'm going to say is keep on delivering that rock star customer experience. <laughs>